Good morning. We're continuing our studies on the Lord's Prayer, and today we're focusing on the phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. What happens if we fail to ask God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? What does the earth miss? What do our families and neighbors miss? What do we personally miss when we fail to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What do you think happens? Well, I want you to take a couple minutes and to think about that. And if you're comfortable, share that with a neighbor nearby. Uh, what do you think happens? What do we miss? What does the earth miss? What do your neighbors, what do your families miss? What do you miss when, we, when you fail to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Think about that and talk about that with a neighbor, if you will. Give you two minutes to think of and talk about that. You can make some noise. Go ahead. What happens? Okay. What does the earth miss? Anybody want to shout out? What, what do you think? Help. help. <laughs> yeah. They miss the greatest helper in the world, right? How about families and neighbors? What do they miss? What do you personally miss when you don't pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? That gets up close and personal, doesn't it? <laughs> the Lord's Prayer is written, and we're going to look at this next week, in perfect symmetry. Three requests focused on heaven. One request that does with daily provision, give us our daily bread. And then three requests for our spiritual well-being. Forgiveness, help with temptations, deliverance from evil. Interesting. Uh, and we'll, we'll take a look at that and lay that out just a little bit. It's a beautiful prayer that Jesus has given us a framework to help us. He's teaching us how to pray. And the first thing we're to do is to concern ourselves with heaven. And that'll greatly affect how we live on earth. So it's important that we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will focus our attention on heaven, and then it's going to change how we live our lives when we do that. Why did I have us read from Revelation chapter 21 today? Because knowing where God is moving people in history should change everything and how I live my life daily. Because that's where God is taking us. And he's taking the world there. So we need to live differently to help the world get to where God would desire them to be. God walked with Adam and Eve in paradise before they rebelled. And Jesus came to make a way for us to get back to that place in the garden. Think about that. That's where God is taking us again. Only it's even going to be better because there's never going to be death again or sin or evil or tears or sickness again. So it's even better than the garden. It will be locked in. It's an amazing place and uh, future that God's taking us to. But until the day when Jesus comes back, believers, we have a duty. Jesus is the light of the world. We're to be the lights that point people to the true light 
Do you remember Anna in the temple when Jesus came in as a child to be dedicated? She was telling everybody, here he is. She was being a light and pointing to the light, the Lord Jesus Christ. The same with John the Baptist, pointing to the light, the true light that was in the world. Followers of Jesus, we are to bring a taste of God's kingdom to earth right now. And God's placed you and me here, where we are, to do that work. Your school, your classmates, your workplace, your church life, your neighborhood, your world, your partners that you see regularly at the gym when you work out, or whatever, wherever you connect, those people are there for a reason. They need to hear about God's plans so that they believe. God, may your name be hallowed. God, may your kingdom be experienced here and now. God, our Father, may your will be done by his people so that others will do it too. So let's talk about connecting heaven and earth. Connect heaven and earth by, number one, believing in God's future. Paradise was lost, Revelation 21. Eve was deceived. Adam chose to rebel. And instead of destroying us, what did God do? He, he sent Christ to redeem us. He sent God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us, to pay our debt for our sins, for our transgressions, for our iniquities, for all our trespasses, for all the evil things we do and think and say. He did that so that we could walk again in the garden. And Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 4, describes something amazing, isn't it? A holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. So we know it's a beautiful place. Ready to be with God and to be loyal to God and to love God fully. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as, as, a, as their God and he'll wipe away every tear. And it goes on and on and describes paradise. That's where God is taking us. That's what was lost in the garden and that's where he's taking us again. In verses five and six, he talks about the new world and how a sure thing it's going to be. Write this down, he says, because these words are trustworthy and true. Do you believe that? Do you really believe there's a kingdom coming that's going to be like that? That God could do that? That he could pull that off? If so, then believe. Respond wisely. We are conquerors. Look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. And I can add, you will be his daughter. He will take care of you. You will know him and you'll see him. Scott, verse 8 is really uncomfortable. Why did I, I almost didn't read, have us read verse 8 because it's sad news. But we need to read the sad news. We can be a conqueror. How are we going to be a conqueror? Well, we're going to be conquering what things? <laughs> Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, sword. We're more than conquerors through him, that is Jesus Christ, who loved us. He gives us the right to conquer sin and death. He enables us to do that. But as for the cowardly, it says in verse 8, for the faithless, the detestable, 
This is a terrible list. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Why do we read verse 8? Let's not pretend that we have not participated in these sins. Let's admit and receive forgiveness. Let's admit our need and seek God's grace and there will be no need to experience that second death. The old is gone, the new has come. Have you believed? Have you received it? And do you care enough to think and to rescue others who do not know what is surely coming? Will you help them at least have the opportunity to believe? God is holy and his name's to be revered and the saint and the usurper would have us believe that he's just as holy but he is not. It's a lie. That we're holy and good, but it's not true. It's a lie. Hallow God's name means believing in him and then obeying him. God is king and there's only one lasting kingdom. So ask for his kingdom to come by bringing a taste of it now. And you can do it through the grace of God. So this coming glorious kingdom is real. So be wise and turn toward it. Build on the rock, hear Jesus' word, learn how to pray so we live differently, so we live like kingdom citizens now, because Revelation 21 reminds us where this world is headed. And it's not necessarily headed for hell. God would have it be headed for paradise. And he wants to populate his new heaven and new earth with Many, many people from every tribe, nation, people, and language group. And we have a part in that. Connect heaven and earth. So believe God's future kingdom is coming. Connect heaven and earth. Understand Jesus' mission. I want to turn back to the book. Well, we're in Revelation, last book of the Bible, right? Let's go to Isaiah. I just want to make a connection with a couple Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and then Jeremiah. First Jeremiah chapter 49. Listen to these words. It's talking about the servant, the servant of God. Chapter 49 of Isaiah verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. At verse 5 it says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. And that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is to light a thing. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? 
I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servants of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thank you for paying attention. That was a long read. There's questions. Is, is the servant of the Lord Israel, the nation of Israel, or somebody else? Well, verses 5 and 7 make it clear. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Messiah who was to come, who was to bring back Jacob. But not only Jacob to God, the whole world is to know this news, to hear the news. Jesus came not just to rescue the Jewish people, but the Gentiles, the people all over the world. Jesus alone makes kingdom citizenship possible. Jesus alone can save us. And wisdom tells us that we need to recognize who Jesus is and not to put it off any longer if we have not come to him, humbled ourselves, believed in him, and then turned and followed him. That's an unwise choice to ignore who he is. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's what the disciples taught the world. There is salvation in no one else, Peter preached in the book of Acts chapter 4. For there is no other name under heaven given among women and men by which we must be saved. So when you and I pray or use this prayer, this prayer is a guide to say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will being done starts with us who believe. Believing Jesus as the Savior is the first step in that. <laughs> and then God's will continues to happen as we surrender to his will, as the Holy Spirit works in us and we obey his promptings, his guidance, his corrections. He moves us toward godliness. Why is there such an urgency for God's people to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because every human being who has ever lived, who is living now or will live, only gets to live one life. And after that, they face judgment. They need to know what's coming. They need for us to know Jesus' mission and why he came, and we need to know how to express it to everyone we meet, to learn to be good speakers of the truth. He's, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. So we can't say this prayer lightly. We can't just rip it off as a tradition or as a, as a formality. The kingdom that is coming People need to see it. People need to become citizens of it. We need to believe in God's future kingdom. We need to believe in Jesus' mission and understand it, what he came to do. And then thirdly, we connect heaven and earth when we understand our mission. We're going to go back to Jeremiah in a moment, but first I want to go to Matthew chapter 5. You can follow along if you want or just listen to these familiar verses. Again, Sermon on the Mount. These are words in chapter 5 of Matthew, just before Jesus spoke the Lord's Prayer. In verses 14 and, and through 16 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. 
A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we are people who become lights of God's kingdom who point to Jesus, the true light. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, familiar verses. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Excuse me, I read that wrong. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is a classic story. If you went to Sunday school as a kid, you learned this story about, uh, there's a song that goes with this, right? I will make you, you can sing, some of you can sing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you don't know that little ditty, but it's a good song. All right. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. There was an urgency that Mark wanted you to pick up here in his gospel. It's the word immediately. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. The process, there's an urgency and then there's this process. You will become fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets. Why? Because the call was clear. The king said, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, follow me and I'll change you. And they said, we believe. Make us something new and different. We will follow. Is your life boring? Then I dare you to follow Jesus and he will expand your life. Obey him and he will expand your life. From fishermen who knew one business, they knew boat decks, they knew how to mend nets. And all of a sudden these fishermen became men who walked with God on earth. They became believers who believed in God and they followed God and they healed people and they cast out demons and they preached the truth and many were saved. Do you want to stay in your boat and fish for fish or do you want to fish for people? Come and follow me. Lord, Work on us, teach us, change us, make us skilled fishermen, skilled fishers of people wherever we go, skilled fishers who are ready to cross into new territory with people of different languages and cultures who don't know. Make us skilled, learn it. Oh, by the way, there's a culture-bound workshop coming up in a couple weekends. Great way to begin to take those steps to get out of our comfortable boats of fishing for fish 
and to move out. Where are you going to, where are we right now? So what are we going to do today together to fish for people? Where are you going to be tomorrow? Is there a fish out there that God would have you catch so that they can walk with the Lord into his future kingdom that's sure to come? Hey, fishing is work. Fishing takes patience and perseverance and a whole bunch of prayer. God's kingdom's coming. You know Jesus's mission. You know the mission that Jesus has for you. Will you follow? Connecting heaven and earth. Connect heaven and earth by, we connect heaven and earth by how we pray. On earth as it is in heaven. When we pray for God's will to be done, prayer is a means for us to be changed toward godliness. So when I pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I tell you what, this week when I've been praying that in the morning, it's like, whoa, you know? I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think that because it's not in step. It begins to change us. I have a couple quotes in English and in Spanish. <laughs> the end of prayer is not so much tangible answers as a deepening life of dependency. Prayer is the avenue of sweet, intimate, and intense fellowship of the soul with the infinite creator. So it's not the answer I'm looking for. It's more about learning to depend on my Father in heaven, who's very dependable. It begins to change you and me. Sweet dependency begins with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Worship. And it, and it, it continues on when we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earl Palmer makes this great observation. Jesus instructs his followers, before you pray for anything else, pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for the presence of God before you ask for anything else. That's what you're asking when you pray those first three phrasing. You, we are asking for God's presence to be with us. And then Earl Palmer says this. <laughs> Is that realistic, he says, knowing who we are? Can Jesus really expect you and me to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to put off what I want, my self-absorbed desires, <laughs> and I'm going to pray for your stuff first. Does Jesus really think we're going to do that? He knows who we are. And he says, whoa, Jesus got it right. Jesus knows how to pray. Jesus prayed for his Father's will first before he asked for his own. Praying for God's kingdom first gives us the solid ground we need to put things in right perspective. So when you lose your job or the, and the bills, bills are piling up, when health is bad or family relationships are fraying, when poor political policy creates trouble and wars rage on around the world, we think about God first. And that puts us on solid ground. So we get the right perspective. 
so we can think clearly about what needs to be done so his kingdom can be seen through us in this world. Why does a lost child continue to sob even though they're in the police station, they're friendly, their favorite television show or video is being, being viewed, they have ice cream, and they're still sobbing. Why do they still sob? Because they're not in the presence of the solid ground of their parents. And God's inviting us to get to that place every time we pray this prayer. Solid ground, right perspective in his presence. The good shepherd with us, reminding us. It gives us the footing we need so our feet don't slip when we're out there in the mountains, the mountains of life. It gives us the perspective we need to run and not grow weary because our God is with us. So Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And he wants us to keep first things first. So that's why he tells us, pray to your heavenly Father. Believe in his future kingdom. Believe in, and know and understand Jesus' mission that's making a way for people to find that kingdom life again that was lost in the garden, to become a citizens of a kingdom that never ends. He's inviting you into that and then believe it and then Christ's disciples, he sent us out to be lights to point to that kingdom, to point to the Savior, seeking heaven's concerns and changing this world because we can, one person, one day, one life at a time as we serve him. Will you do it? What happens if we, when we do pray, your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven? What would change for you this week? Let's pray. Father and God, teach us to pray. Lord, plant us on solid ground. Help us to come into your presence and know you and understand your mission and your great love and your care. Lord God, we pray this for your honor and glory so that your kingdom does come through your people so that many will join the throng in heaven. In Jesus' name we ask this for your honor and glory. Amen.